if you all can make it to church this morning. Oh, hold on. Wait. Yes. All right. No. All right, everybody. <laughs> all right, all you guys, remove the earplugs. Shut off the radios. Hear me? Thanks. <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist that one. So, you're the faithful few. It's nice to have you here this morning. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9 today. Hebrews chapter 9. This is a kind of a continuation of where Reuben left us off a couple weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 9 now transitions us from the Day of Atonement where that high priest entered into that Holy of Holies to offer the blood of a bull and a goat. Now the writer of Hebrews transitions us then to Jesus, His blood and sacrifice, and our forgiveness. And so that's where we're at with chapter 9. Now we often speak about the death of Jesus and the shedding of His blood as kind of a normal part of our conversation as Christians. But have you ever stopped to wonder... Where else in society do we talk about death and dying and the shedding of blood as being good things for us, as being positive things for us? You know, because as Christians, we say things like the blood of Jesus uh, saves you from your sins, that the blood of Jesus brings you forgiveness, that Jesus shed his, cro- shed his blood on the cross for you. The way we speak of Jesus, though, is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of gruesome, isn't it? I wonder how the world around us really thinks about that when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for them. Because it sounds kind of weird to them, I would think. Because in our culture today, it's not really socially acceptable to talk about death and dying, is it? It's not acceptable to talk about the gruesomeness of how Jesus died. It's not acceptable to talk about what we have been talking about here in Hebrews, the killing of animals and the sacrificial slaughtering of those animals and the blood being spread all over the temple. You know, in our culture today, we avoid talking about those things. And then we want to come to our culture around us, and we want to communicate with them a message of love. And that message of love is that Jesus Christ died a gruesome, gory, agonizing death on the cross, and He shed His blood for you. Now, that's not exactly the perfect, um, the perfect love story, is it? It's difficult to relate to that in our culture today. It's difficult. It doesn't, it doesn't mean what we think it means to the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. But if we were to turn back time, turn back time and go back centuries into a different generation of people, then we would notice that a different generation of people back in time, they recognized blood and death as part of life, as an integral part of life. You see, because... We find these topics difficult to discuss. And because we find them difficult to discuss, we miss out on a very important part of life. And that is death. Death is a part of life. Blood and death have always been associated with life in our culture. Every culture has recognized kind of the cyclical nature of death. It's the way the world functions. When something dies, something else lives. Every culture has recognized that. They've they've understood the relationship between life and death. But today we we, we like to try and ignore death altogether. We don't talk about it. We don't have it in our society and culture. We don't want to see it. 
but yet it's still a reality of life. Now, I have to tell you that uh, some of you may not be aware of this, that I lived in Dunedin for a few years, just a couple of years, and um, I got to know some friends of mine that are down in Gore and Matara. Now, I'm sure all of you know where that's at. Gore, you know, it's the country music capital of New Zealand. You knew that, right, Phil? Yep. And it's also the brown trout fishing capital of New Zealand, just in case you're fishermen. So now you can relate to Gore, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> People in Auckland, you're not aware of anything past the uh, Bombay Hills, are you? <laughs> well, when I lived down on the mainland, I uh, got to know some people in Gore. Now, I discovered that Gore people, the people of Gore, kind of see things differently than we do here in Auckland. It's not because they live in Gore. It's because they're farmers. And, you know, farmers view life and death differently than city folk do. And, in fact, the spring before Mickey and I moved up to Auckland, there was a major snowstorm. And spring's the time when new lambs are born, of course. And a major snowstorm hit that area, and thousands upon thousands of lambs died. And so as you drove up the road, you saw these big bins sitting on the side of the road full of dead lambs. Now, that was a sad, sad sight. It was a sad sight. Nobody likes to see death. But, of course, farmers, they acknowledge that that's just simply part of life on the farm. They see death and blood all the time. Now, contrast that to that thought of farmers and how they see life and death all the time. Contrast that, then, to city folks. You know, in the cities, uh, people generally look upon animals and livestock and blood differently. Livestock and blood are not normal parts of our conversation here in Auckland, are they? But you see, in our contemporary culture, we don't understand that concept. Concepts of sacrifice and shedding of blood are primitive, primitive concepts to us. And the concept then that the blood of Jesus saves us, well, that just sounds kind of barbaric to us, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like it's something that's relevant to us today. And we'd all say that the sacrifice of animals is a barbaric way to worship anything today, right? We'd all say that. We'd agree with that. And so the cultural message we hear today is that animals are equal in essence and value to human beings. And so we spend millions of dollars to save the wells while thousands of people die every day of starvation. You see the value we now place on animals? Different than those farmers. But that's not really the path I want to take with the message today. Today, I want to take you back and try and find an understanding of blood and death within Scripture. The point I'm trying to make here is blood and death were considered to be much more a part of life in centuries past, in the ancient cultures. In fact, blood was an integral part of most every ancient religion, even ours. It's an integral part of the Hebrew and Christian traditions passed down to us. And so today in our culture, it gets a bit tricky for Reuben and I to stand up here and to talk to you about the sacrificial offering of animals and to talk to you about the blood that's being poured out in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. And then, not only the blood of animals, but then we want to stand up here and share with you this new covenant idea. And that idea is that Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood for you. It just gets a little bit tricky for us to try and bring that out in a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge blood and death at all. A guy by the name of John Stott wrote this. He said, The gospel contains some features so alien to modern thought that it will always appear folly to those intellectuals, however hard we strive to show that it is true 
and reasonable. He said, today our culture is never really going to get it. They're never really going to make sense out of the idea of sacrifice and blood and death. But today I'm going to attempt to answer the simple question, why blood? Why did God choose blood as the one thing that brings atonement for your sins? As the one thing that brings forgiveness for your sins? Why did God do that? Hebrews 9.22 says, The law requires that everything, nearly everything, be cleansed by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we right away see that blood is required for forgiveness. Now, if you recall, Reuben taught us about that day of atonement, that day when the priest went into the temple and when he went in there with the blood of goats and of, of a bull, he, he killed the one goat and they let the scapegoat go free. And Reuben talked a lot about the essence of that. It, it was a once-a-year event that happened, and that was, that was to symbolize the atonement of the, of the sins of the nation of Israel. That was the Day of Atonement. And we discovered then in that Day of Atonement that atonement for sins requires blood. Blood has to be released from that animal in a sufficient way in order for the animal to die. It's not good enough just to take a syringe and take out a little bit of blood. That animal also had to die. So atonement required death and it also requires blood. And you know, in the Bible, there's a dual symbolism with blood. On the one hand, blood symbolizes life. But on the other hand, blood symbolizes death. And so right from the earliest times, the ancient cultures recognized that blood's, blood had something to do with life. Leviticus chapter 17 says, The life of every creature is in its blood. And so to God, blood represents life. But to God, blood also represents death. And the shedding of blood means the releasing of life itself. It means the giving up of life. So the Bible, the Bible speaks of blood over 400 times. In the book of Leviticus, as God was setting up the Mosaic Covenant and the Mosaic Law, nearly 100 times blood is mentioned. And so blood is a dynamic and important part of scriptures. And it's an important part of what we believe as Christians. And whenever God established a covenant with someone, he did that with blood. And so you have Noah and Abraham. Their covenant with God, each of their covenants with God were ratified with blood. When God established the covenant with Moses, the Bible says that Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the scroll of the law. And then he also sprinkled that blood on every person in Israel. He actually threw the blood on them because that was a confirmation of the covenant that God was making with the people. Now this is very revealing to us because a covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement between those two parties. It's an agreement between God and the people. But you know, a covenant is also a relationship. And so when you enter into an agreement with someone, you also enter into a relationship with them. We think of contracts today, and when you enter into a contract, we think of it as a very business type of thing. But even so, even though it's a business agreement, it's also a relationship with that other person. And so that's what God, in effect, was doing with Moses and Noah and Abraham. He was not only entering in with this agreement, but he was entering into a relationship with them, that they could have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. And so God established these covenants 
But you see, in order for anyone to relate to God, there has to be shedding of blood. And so no blood, no relationship. But in order to understand this question of why blood, we have to go right back to the beginning. We have to go back to Genesis, to the creation of the, of the world. When God created Adam and Eve, he saw in the Garden of Eden, everything was good. And he said, with Adam and Eve, it was very good because they took on the image of God himself. And so Adam and Eve were pure, perfect. The Garden of Eden was perfect. There was no sin. Therefore, there was no death. And Adam and Eve were actually created to be eternal beings, to live forever in relationship to God. But the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. Everything changed, and God declared that the penalty for their sin was death. What was really being revealed there is that rebellion and sin against God is so serious that it requires death. And so after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, for dust you are, and dust you will return. And then he said, man has become like one of us, because he now understands good from evil. He must not be allowed to eat from the tree of life. In the New Testament, it's stated more succinctly. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's it. That's where it all began. That's where you begin to see this revealing of the idea that death is required because of sin. And the fact of the matter is, we will all die. There's no getting around that. That's the great equalizer of all of us, whether you're rich or poor, wherever you come from, every human being will die. We don't like to talk about that, but that's just the fact of the matter. And we will die because of that sin that occurred in the garden. But the wonderful message of Jesus is that when sin brings death, Jesus brings life everlasting and forgiveness of sins. This is the great truth that the writer of Hebrews is bringing about. This is the great truth, the, the accumulation of all the writings of Hebrews. This is where the writer of Hebrews is going, to that one fact that through Jesus Christ you can receive forgiveness of sin and life everlasting, that you're no longer stuck with just dying because you don't have a relationship with God. What the writer of Hebrews is bringing about is that now we have the opportunity to have a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. But you know, the fact of the matter remains that because of sin, in order to have that relationship to God, blood is still required. Even today, blood is still required because forgiveness is a powerful thing. And it's not something God takes lightly. Like what William Barclay said in his commentary on this passage. He said, forgiveness is a costly thing. Forgiving always costs something. Forgiveness is never the case of saying, it's all right, it doesn't matter. It is the most costly thing in the world. He says divine forgiveness is costly. God is love, but he is also holiness. He least of all can break the great moral laws on which the universe is built. Sin must have its punishment or the very structure of life disintegrates. Now let's stop there for a second. The very structure of life disintegrates if there is no punishment. We see this in our judicial system. We see the fact that there's punishment doled out for crime. If there was no punishment doled out for those crimes, what do you suppose would happen? The very essence of life would disintegrate because everyone would continue to do more and more sin. They would continue to do more and more crime. 
And so what do you get in a society that has no judicial system, no way to punish the crime? You get chaos, anarchy. That's what it's saying there. Sin must have its punishment or the very structure of life disintegrates. Without the shedding of the heart's blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Nothing brings a man to his senses with such arresting violence as to see the effect of his sin. Where there is forgiveness, someone has to be sacrificed. Someone has to be sacrificed. And so why blood? Why the sacrifice of blood? Well, because blood is life. That's why Christians march against abortion and all of that stuff. Because life is the most precious thing we have. It's the most precious thing we have on this earth. And the fact of the matter is, God required that we offer to Him our most precious possession. You know, God didn't make up this cosmic game that in order to pass from life to death, we had to have blood as one of the hoops that we passed through. God did not create death. We brought that on ourselves. You see, it's the whole idea of equal and opposites. Equal and opposites even in the spiritual realm. Where there is life, there must be death. Where there is death, then there is life. You can't have one or the other because of sin. Where there is life, there must be death. Where there is death, there must be life. Or there is life. But you see... God in His infinite love didn't want to just lose us forever because of our sin. And so what did He do? He brought reconciliation through the blood sacrifice. But not the blood sacrifice of animals, the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His own Son, once for all. And so the fact of the matter is, forgiveness of sin still requires blood today. But the great and wonderful message is that Jesus Christ's blood covers our sins as well. That's it. God brought an end to the need for the blood sacrifice of animals by sacrificing His own Son. And He opened up the way for us to have a relationship to Him. Therefore, we have entered into this covenant agreement with God. And now we have relationship because of that agreement. And how do you enter into that covenant relationship? You enter in through the acceptance of Jesus Christ and His blood for the forgiveness of your sin. And once you do that, you enter into a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Jesus Christ, when God looks down upon you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees righteousness. Therefore, he can enter into that relationship with you. See, it all centers on the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. From Adam and Eve on down to Jesus hanging on the cross, God was telling this beautiful story through these magnificent pictures of sacrifice in the temple and the law. He was telling this story from Moses leading the people out of Israel or out of Egypt, from the high priest standing in that temple offering those sacrifices year after year, down until Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cried out, It is finished. God was preparing for this time in history. He was preparing for the consummation of time in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the nation of Israel constantly had this reminder, this graphic depiction of, 
of their sin and their forgiveness year after year after year. Thus, that was the problem with the Old Covenant. The blood of bulls and goats never perfectly washed away sin. So the writer of Hebrews says here in chapter 9, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Not only the sins of the Israelites, that they committed those sins under the first covenant, but for the sins of all people. Hebrews 9, 26 26 says, He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. You see, the work of the blood finished the need for sacrifice forever. God's wrath because of sin has been satisfied and peace has come. The peace that surpasses all understanding is here now with Jesus Christ. Rather than requiring our most precious thing, God gave His most precious Son in our place. And so Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once for all to take away the sins of many people. No other sacrifice has to be made. The blood of animals is no longer required. And so, with this last sacrifice, Jesus brought to an end that old age under Moses. And he ushered in a new beginning. There's no longer a need for priests. There will be no new priests, no more animal sacrifices, no more pouring out of blood. The writer of Hebrews says that there's just one more thing that we're waiting on. Just one more thing, and that is our complete fulfillment of the salvation when Jesus returns. Now that's a great picture for us. That's a great thing to know. That when you enter into this relationship to Jesus Christ, you can have a new beginning in your life. Because Jesus ushered in a new beginning. The old has gone, the new has come. Though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus set us free from sin and death. And He opened up the way for us to have relationship to Him. He brought to an end the law and He brought in righteousness for everyone who would believe. And so we can confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead and we too can be saved. You and I. And today, you can have a new beginning. Right now, you can start your life fresh and brand new. And trust me, folks, we've all needed new beginnings in our lives. The blood of Jesus can wipe the slate clean. The blood of Jesus can wipe away all that past in your life that you don't like. The blood of Jesus can take away that guilt. You no longer have to carry the burden by yourself. The blood of Jesus wipes it clean. You can start fresh today. A new beginning. I invite you this morning. I don't know where each of you are. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know how many of you are Christians and how many of you aren't. But I invite you today to bring Jesus into your life. To accept Him as Lord and Savior. To let Him clean up that guilt that you feel over the past. To let Him carry those burdens with you.
1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus purifies you of sin. Today can be your new beginning. Today can be your new beginning when you draw a line in the sand and you decide that you're going to start life fresh with God. That you no longer have to be stained by sin, but you can be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ that washes that sin away, that washes the guilt away, that washes the sadness away, that you can be renewed and refreshed in Jesus Christ and His blood. That's why there is blood today. That's why we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it's so critically important for you to enter into that relationship to God and have your sins washed away and have yourself renewed in Him. Jesus sacrificed Himself so that you don't have to. Don't just sit there today and do nothing. Whether you're here listening to this message, whether you're at home watching it on TV. Don't just sit there and do nothing. Today is a day when you can start fresh and new. It doesn't matter what your mates are going to say about you. It doesn't matter if you don't completely understand this whole idea of sacrificial animals and blood. What Jesus is offering for you, you can get nowhere else. Jesus gave everything he had for you. Do you know what that means? It means everything to you. This world will soon pass you by. This world will soon pass you by and no one has a choice about that. But you do have a choice about this. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now I've set out the invitation for you today. I'm going to have a prayer now, and if you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, do that now. Tell Him during this prayer that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart. That God raised Him from the dead and He is your Lord and Savior today. Today is when you can have that fresh start, that new beginning. Today, right here, right now. Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 19 and 20, it says that he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thus we do it in remembrance of him. Jesus said, This is my body. This is my blood given for you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray to you now. I lift your name on high. I thank you for bringing your blood to us so that we can have forgiveness of sin. Lord, I know that many things are on the hearts and minds of people here today. I know it goes much deeper than an all-black scheme. Much, much deeper. I don't know every heart. I don't know every mind, Lord, but you do. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their hearts today that they will set themselves free by accepting Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if someone here is moved closer to you today, I pray that you'll bring them the peace that surpasses all understanding.